Are you ever curious what's going on behind the scenes in Hollywood? You watch a Netflix show or a Marvel movie and you wonder, why was that person in it? Why did this movie get made? I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, on the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, we're going to bring you short, digestible episodes featuring some of the smartest people I know breaking down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Follow The Town now and listen on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Folks, basketball is so very, very, very good. I mean, it's incredible, it's impeccable, it's exciting, it's thrilling. Welcome to Upside High, where we talk about basketball, specifically young players within basketball, the youth movement, college basketball, grassroots, the draft, all that applies. My name is J. Kyle Mann, and I am joined, per usual, by uh, one of the brightest minds in the sport, I would argue, a thought leader, a gentleman, a scholar, a liberal arts guy, as we found out a minute ago, Jonathan Charks. John, how you doing, buddy? Let's just go with minds. I am a mind. Let's kill the adjectives. I will say this week, basketball isn't just really good. It's great. It's March Madness. I'm beyond excited. I can't, I can't wait. It's just going to be awesome. If you like volume, you know, it's a time where there's just a lot going on. It's exciting. It's You know how red zone is kind of a popular thing in the NFL? The like, I want to see like crunch time. There's a lot of crunch time in March, and you just see guys go into a different gear. And the one-game scenario thing is big, too. Can you imagine what the NBA would be like if we had like one-game scenarios in some of these playoff games? Well, that's what Daryl Morey wanted. I don't know if you saw that. He was trying to push. That's the way to go for to get maximum viewer engagement. But yeah, I mean, it just brings me back to like, you know, high school, middle school, 
like watching games between class. It's just so exciting, man. It's just the best. Yeah, when I was like in elementary school, I remember they would wheel in. You remember like the AV carts when we were growing up? They had like the TV. Yes, for the with the old school TVs. Yeah, for sure. There'd be some dude who just kind of that was their gig or a student, the student technology program. I was part of that. You know, they'd roll it in and we would watch like the SEC tournament or something. Kentucky's ridiculous like that. I don't know if they did that in Texas. No. It was, it was literally, <laughs> they, they would roll in the thing. Not even the NCAA tournament, the conference tournament is still you're breaking class for that i love it we do the ncaa tournament as well but we would do the sec tournament too and i specifically remember watching like tony dell even as like a little kid like tony delk and ron mercer and all these like during class if it, if the sec tournament was on speaking of the sec tournament we're going to talk about kentucky a little bit today they flamed out in their tournament uh your texas longhorns didn't quite get it done in their tournament either there's not much to say about them <laughs> your cynicism always kills me john is like we're alike in that way when you ask us about our teams we don't we don't go the normal way with a fan where you're just like no no they're no good. but your team is actually good texas is not even good this year they were they were top five before the season they're just not very good what do you think was disappointing i mean have you the, quickly just your chris beard stock like i know he came in as it was a controversial move for him to go from from tech to to the uh the flagship texas school don't come at me for saying that texas people but what do you think about chris beard so far i mean you have to keep in perspective it's year one he basically just signed a bunch of free agents and like it's a transition year he has an elite class coming in next season That'll be a much better barometer for how he's going to do than this year. This year was just kind of like a make-work year. Like, all the players, all Shaka's players left or transferred or graduated. So it was kind of always going to be a transition year. And they just, a lot of the players he brought in were overrated nationally. And I don't know if that's his fault or not. You mean like Devin Askew hasn't delivered for you? You haven't been excited about the Askew experience? There's not enough time on this podcast to talk about the Devin Askew experience. Maybe I'm overrating it by calling it an experience. It's sort of been the void of, uh, of an experience. But, uh, you know, March is... The games in and of themselves are really, really fun. But March is a time when... The stages, I think, lend themselves to big performances, and we we have a way of meeting new faces, you know, meeting new players. You know, I call them hello world games, where, and sometimes these, you know, we get to watch these players more frequently, as we've talked about in the past, because a lot more games are on TV. But you think about big performances where we meet guys for the first time. A lot of times those guys will go on. It can be an indicator of things that they're going to do in the future. Some of my favorite ones were like Wally Zerbiak. That's reaching way back to like 1998. People literally had no clue who this guy was. Do you have any like favorite performances from throughout the NCAA tournament history where a guy came out and like really made a name for himself? And introduced himself to the world. The one that's always stuck out to me, it was uh, Kemba Walker. So it was the year before he kind of, they went, I think they won the national title this next year. But his freshman year, he was coming off the bench and barely playing. And then UConn was in the Elite Eight against Missouri. And they were losing. And then like Calhoun's like, okay, bring the freshman in. And all of a sudden, this like five foot 10 guy is just start absolutely dominating. And it was like, how is this even fair? How does UConn have like this NBA guard just chilling on the bench all season? And he had like 25 points in like 20 minutes. And it was like, what the heck was that? Yeah, it's nice when you're a high major program like that. And you can have those guys that are like highly rated recruits. Uh, and that's something to watch for in the draft that the stats aren't always indicative of. It's like some of these high major teams will have these younger players that could potentially become sophomores a little early, you know? Like they they have like spent the season 
acclimating to the college environment, the speed of the game. They've learned what a good shot is and what it isn't, and then they have their moment where they're ready to kind of bust out. I mean, obviously, like, Steph was a person that people knew about prior to that 08 tournament. That was, like, an incredible run to go back and follow. I don't know that that was necessarily, like, the public... Usually it's like the general public is learning about these players. Uh, one of the worst ones for me was Dwayne Wade. I feel like Dwayne Wade had his like absolute like burst on the scene game against Kentucky in that regional final in 2003. For sure. The Elite Eight. That was a painful one uh, that I try to forget about. Gordon Hayward in that 2010 tournament. John Morant, I think a lot of people learned, you know, the draft community knew about John Morant, but I think the general public got a good sense of you know, holy shit, this guy can really play. Did you get to experience those games in real time? Yeah, I remember the Dwayne Wade game. That's a good example because it's just funny looking back on it. I'm pretty sure that game, it was this big showdown. It was Dwayne Wade, mid-major star, versus Keith Bogans, like captain of the Kentucky, been more highly touted. And that's something to always keep in mind with like draft stuff. You kind of got to hold it with an open hand in these tournaments because sometimes it just takes guys time to catch up. Another example of that is uh, CJ McCollum. Lehigh knocked off Duke one year in the first round and Duke's big star in that game was Austin Rivers. And now looking back on it, it's like, well, of course, McCollum beat Rivers. But at the time, Rivers was like a top five pick and no one's really talking about McCollum and all of a sudden, that one game just flips everything. And that's what's just so exciting about March sometimes. Yeah, there, there are tons of them. I mean, Larry Bird kind of burst on the scene. Of course, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That one doesn't really count. This is one that I would recommend. If you're a hardcore hoop head, I brought this one up to John. Go back and watch. In 1989, Tim Hardaway was playing for UTEP. And he played against LSU, Chris Jackson, later Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. The, that matchup of those two guys, if you can go find that on YouTube, it's unbelievable. Like the skill between those two guards and Hardaway just like makes my knees hurt watching how fast he was back then. Uh, Steve Nash in 96 was another really good one. So these surprises are really fun. They're one of the most fun things about March. And speaking of surprises, some fans assume that the draft won't be interesting for them if their team doesn't have a first round pick. But when there's a deep draft class and trades are on the table, there are always surprises for teams getting players that match exactly what they need. These surprises are one of the most exciting things about March for me, John. I really look forward to them. Yeah, I remember one year, one of the all-time great upsets. It was Missouri. They had been dominant all season. They had like three or four guards getting NBA buzz. They played a really fast, up-tempo style, really fun to watch. And they're a two-seed, and people are saying, oh, Missouri is the team this year, Final Four, maybe even national title. And they're playing a 15-seed Norfolk State. No one's heard of them. No one knows where they're even from. It's just like, who are these random guys? And then Norfolk State pulls the upset. And then, oh, actually, they had this big man named Kyle O'Quinn. Who you've heard of. Very versatile, very skilled. Uh, played like 10 years in the NBA. And as it turned out, Kyle O'Quinn was the best pro in that game. And that's what's so fun about the tournament sometimes. Is Sometimes the 15-seed has a guy no one's even heard of. Now he's on the map, and it's like it just changes everything for his whole career. And sometimes these games can be indicators. They do mean something sometimes. And those surprises are things that you can say, hey, that guy played really well in that scenario. And I was talking about Santa Clara beating Arizona back in the day. Arizona had Chris Mills, NBA player, and Damon Stoudemire, NBA player. But this little-known freshman named Steve Nash came in there and controlled the pace of the game. Who would have thought? And that surprise actually 
meant something. So even when you assume that it won't be a big year for certain teams, there are always a few surprising moves out there in the NBA draft to keep an eye on. And it's like that with uh, people when they're assuming that they can't afford great insurance. So then they discover that State Farm has surprisingly great rates and that's a great thing for them and it works out. So like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. This to me, like the first day of March Madness, this is how I think normal people feel about Christmas. We're just so excited. And for me, it's like all these players, it's like the Christmas gifts. You never quite know what's in the box sometimes. And it's just so exciting to see what could happen. Like for me, March, whatever, March 15th, that is like Christmas Eve. It's like, let's go. I can't wait for these games. Open them up and see what's there. Definitely. And like you said the other day, we get we both get really excited about setting up a bunch of TVs. I was curious. I don't know that we really talk much about our brackets. Did you get to take a look at my bracket before we hopped on here? Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking at it right now. Do you have kind of a template for what you think a team needs to win a title today? Because I kind of have some ideas, offensively at least, about what I think a team needs to have to go the distance. Do you have any kind of basic, these principles usually show up in a team that makes a run? The big thing I like to look at is just the overall personnel. I think you need a very balanced team. You're talking about winning a title, you've got to have some size up front because you got to figure at some point you're going to face off against a big man with real skills. So if a team doesn't have at least one 6'10", 6'11 guy who can protect the rim matchup, that's going to get him at some point. you got to have size in the perimeter. you got to have shooting. And number one for me is you've got to have a point guard. And that's one thing I feel like I've learned doing these over the years is when I was younger, I would just always kind of pick the more talented teams like, oh, man, this team has three NBA first round picks. Let's run it. It's fun to watch. Let's ride them far. But now I'm like, man, if you don't have a point guard, if you don't have somebody who can control the tempo of the game, get your best players the shots and just not turn it over, you're going to get upset at some point. And that's just like there's just no way around it, really. And the team, the teams that don't have that floor general, I think there's always a much better chance of them getting upset. If they don't, if you don't play smart, it's just not going to matter. Because I think that's the big difference between the NBA and college, is that there's no bar for competence. In the NBA, all the guards are competent. Like they're not going to butcher the game and lose it for you. In college, you can have an absolutely stacked team, and you're, if your guards can just at- blow the game, and we'll talk about that with some of these top teams this year especially in the conference tournament, you kind of saw the weaknesses of their guard play, and that could probably rear its head in March. Yeah, I think that the guard thing is absolutely right. I kind of look for half-court efficiency, and this is a similar thing from regular season to postseason play. If you're a team that really depends on certain types of, like, offensive generation like if you really depend on like using turnover generation to create your offense if you're a team that is like afraid to get into sort of a half court execution driven kind of a thing and that's true at every level of basketball I think but you just don't see a lot of teams that are like heavily dependent on transition. I think you need to be balanced. And I think that you can generate turnovers and, and tr- get into transition, but I, th- I think that you, you don't need to like heavily depend on it. But jutting off of that, a sort of uh, qualifier to fit that mold is to have multiple ball handlers, in my opinion. Because if you look at the past few uh, NCAA champions, they've had like three guys that were pretty, you know, interchangeable in terms of like spot up. And maybe some pick and roll like Baylor last year with like Davion Mitchell and uh, Jared Butler and Macy Oteague. And then uh, just going back, like some of those Villanova teams had three guard situations. Virginia did with uh, Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy. That's that's another one that I see. Um, I'm trying to think, you know. 
the teams that fit that mold this year, UCLA has a few creators, but they're not as like balanced. I feel like Villanova and Gonzaga both fit that mold to me. I've picked Gonzaga to win it all. You picked Arizona to win it all. Who's your final four? I was curious. I'm going to have a West Coast this year. Arizona, Gonzaga, UCLA. And then I'm still trying to figure out. I think the Midwest, that to me, that's going to be whoever picks that one correctly is probably going to win your bracket. It's so wide open. I could see any of the top five or six teams winning it or those teams losing in round two or round one. That's the one I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah, I spent a lot of time <laughs> hovering over that one and just sort of pondering. Uh, did you have any like dramatic upsets in the in the first round here real quick? Um, the big one I'm, th- I'm leaning on right now, I like Chattanooga over Illinois. Chattanooga's got two pretty high-level college guards, one of them Malachi Smith getting NBA buzz. And what's cool about Chattanooga, they have a big man from Power 5 Conference named Silvio D'Souza. And that is just so big because that's really what separates a lot of times early on. From Kansas. Yeah, Yeah. D'Souza was a guy, almost got Bill Self fired for paying him under the table, but that's a whole different story. And hitting someone with a chair. I mean, that's like one of the most famous photos ever. I said there should be a painting of that. (laughs) That, It was like the most like... Oh, from the K-State game. Yeah, yeah. It looked like a Renaissance painting. He like had that big stool up over his head. I was like, (laughs) it just was so majestic, but scary. And then that woman (laughs) down cowering under him. I'm sorry, I just really enjoyed that. But you're right. Yeah, they have they have some players. Because a lot of times in these, what you want to have, is you just got to have at least one big man if you're going to pull the upset off. Because these low major, mid major teams, a lot of times that's where it separates them from the high majors is like your your supply of quality bigs runs out pretty fast. And so, yeah, okay, this, this, this conference has one bid. They might have like one seven footer in the entire conference or one guy over six eight who can play. You got to have that guy so at least to match up with the high major teams because there's just way more bigs than the bigger teams. I have Loyola Chicago over Ohio State, but I don't really think that's a very controversial pick. I, I was talking with our buddy Ross Holman about this. I feel like I feel like everyone's picking that one, and then Ohio State's going to win, and then you know Chris Holman will stay at Ohio State, and it's it just seems like one of those situations. The one that everyone picks never happens. That's why I'm worried about like Providence, South Dakota State. Like that's the one. It's so obvious. It's like that one never ever comes through. The one everyone has doesn't want to make an upset at that point so the tournament like we said is a time where we see you know we see new stars can be born on that stage at times uh i wanted to talk to you really quickly about like some gems just some players this is a a thing maybe guys that don't necessarily make the nba but guys that could potentially affect an upset or guys that could surprise uh, a higher seeded team in like a one game scenario. We've seen that happen throughout. I mean, like I, th- I feel like Thomas Walkup is like one of the all time ones for Stephen F. Austin. Do you remember that game when he oh. just absolutely dominated? I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, he he just couldn't be guarded. There are a few names here. I was curious though. First, do you, do you have anybody like a, a lesser known, maybe guy that's off the radar that you're excited for people to see for the first time? One of the games I'm most ex- looking forward to in the first round, and these are two guys who are. Talked about a lot this year. It's Colorado State versus Michigan. It's the first game of the tournament that Thursday morning, which is always the most fun. You know, you're watching like Price is Right on CBS, then boom, at 11 o'clock, it switches to the tournament and you just get into the action. So this one is David Roddy. He's kind of like your mid major superstar. He's like all stats and he has this really goofy looking. 
right about college basketball, this guy is 6'5", 250 point forward. Like, just body types you don't see in the NBA very often. I was supposed to say you're stealing mine, by the way. This is, I was passionate about David Roddy, and you're, you're just swiping my, my bit. It's March Madness, baby. You got to take care of the ball. You, you give it out there, someone's going to take it from you. <laughs> and what's going to be fun about that Roddy is he's going up against Michigan, which has this really big front line. And most people in Michigan are talking about this guy, Hunter Dickinson. He's like a seven foot two old school center. But I, the guy I think in Michigan has a ton of talent is this guy named Musa Diabati. And he oh, yeah. is a guy who was a top 10 recruit in his class. And he's kind of been stuck under the radar playing behind Dickinson at Michigan. But he's six foot 11 and he can really move. He's got a lot of ball skills. Like you just don't see a guy his size with that combination. And it's the same kind of thing as Roddy. So he's 6'11, 210. And that's what I love about the March Madness, because you have these wild body types and what that's going to look like. These, you have a smaller school from a small conference versus big power school underachieving. And I remember one year there was a game where I think it was like Florida State played somebody and they had a seven foot four center and nobody else in your team was over like six foot five. And it was just like, this is what makes March great. This is wild style style fights. Can you imagine being a mid-major and for the first time seeing a seven foot four guy like that? That's just so uh, that's so incredible. I will say you like I, but playing ball growing up, I remember the first time I put a seven footer. It was just so shocking. He blocked my shot like three times because I had no idea. Like you're just not used to it. Like you see it, you see it, but when you're on the court. A guy that tall, it's like you have to adjust your angles to play basketball because it's just so shocking. Yeah, that that skill, that angle adjustment skill is something that I think you have to learn early because if you if you haven't like faced that, it can be really jarring. Like in a in a one game scenario for sure. Like I know anytime we play against like people that were a little bit bigger, it kind of starts to eat into your mind a little bit that like this shot that is usually there is not available to me. This pass that I thought was there is is not available to me. Uh, those things I think are factors. I think you're right about David Roddy though, man. Um, Roddy might be my favorite sort of uh, off the radar guy in this tournament because we were talking about comps for him, what to expect. You said George Niang. I, I think that that's fair. I kind of got some like Royce White kind of vibes of this like really just heavily built lower body guy who can face up and shoot it uh, and can also like when he's facing up, he can attack you and then just go into his post-up game, which is crazy crafty. And then he has like, I'm pretty sure he has pretty big hands. Like he can like explode with that physicality and finish through contact. Maybe kind of a Jarrell Brantley kind of body type too, but he has some ball skills and he can shoot it. I think he's like a 46% shooter in spot ups. Uh, he's an, he's a guy that I think is, if he got in crazy shape, could be an interesting NBA possibility. Just some other like names for people to watch. Nelly Cummings is a really interesting player. The other one I think that is interesting, I don't think this guy's an NBA guy because of the nature of his game, the speed of his shot. Baylor Shireman is an interesting player for South Dakota State. Just a really methodical, steady pick and roll player. I don't know that they're going to pull an upset. I, I think that a lot of people are going to be picking them in their game, but that's another guy that I think would be interesting to watch. Some people are going to be just using the, the tournament to catch up on general, not off the radar, not hidden gym uh, guys that are sort of in the middle, maybe not the, the mainstream names like the, the Chets or the Palos or the Jabari's who are some interesting players for you that you're excited to see on this stage. Like maybe in the middle of the draft. I think the guy we should talk about is Keegan Murray. He's getting a lot of buzz. He had a great Big Ten tournament. We've not really hit on him too much this year, 
But he's a guy who could really make, kind of talking about a Hello World game, he's a 6'8 combo forward for Iowa. One thing that's pretty cool is his twin brother backs him up. And his twin brother is pretty good too. So they'll usually close games with Keegan and Chris Murray. And it's kind of like watching The Matrix like with the, with the Agent Smiths. And there's these two like Terminators running around the court doing the same kind of stuff. And this is definitely, it's like Keegan's there this year. I'd expect Chris next year will be the same kind of thing. And Keegan's like 6'8", 225, just NBA body, NBA skills. And what's cool about Iowa is like they know where their bread is buttered. A lot of times in the tournament, a team will not always feature their primary guy. And I think one thing to watch out for with like Jabari Smith and Paolo Bonchero is Duke and Auburn, they don't always know their, who their best player is. And they'll, their guards will start taking bad shots. Their best player gets out of the flow of the game. He stops impacting things. But at Iowa, it's like, no, we have Keegan Murray. And if we're going to lose, he's going to take 25 or 30 shots. Like this is guy is going to take a ton of shots. What do you think about Murray? Like, where do you kind of land on him? I've had a hard time kind of dialing him in. I, I figure he's probably, for me, he's probably more, I was talking to Chad Ford the other day. About Name drop. This. I love it. I love drop. it. There's a little drop for you. Hey, do you like that? Very sly. No, I was thinking, I kind of think of him as like a 10 to 20, but I might have him in that like eight to 12 kind of range. Like I feel as I could have him as high as eight. He's a really well-rounded player. That's what people should know. Like you said, he has good size. He has some pop when he's at the basket. He can get up and finish. Underrated shooter, I think. On the season, he's been a 40.5% uh, shooter from three. And in the last five games, actually, I like this whenever I look at prospects, you know, in the draft. I like when I see their recency is is stepping up. You know, I don't like when guys just like fall off of a cliff. 48.5% from three, actually, in his past five games. So, and Iowa actually won the Big Ten tournament against Indiana. Sorry, Matt Dollinger. Well, he had eight threes in that game against Indiana. And he just like, he literally let him know, I have other things in my bag because Keegan attacks the rim so much. If Keegan has a physical advantage, he's going to press it. Like, if you can't guard me, I'm not going to let you off the hook and just jack a shot. I'm going right to the rim. I'm powering through you. But Indiana pushed him out. He's like, all right, I'll just make threes if I have to. And with Keegan, it's hard because I wonder sometimes if the, you, you like put a ceiling on a guy because he wasn't being talked about earlier in the season. And it's like I had an NBA guy ask me, he said, look at the numbers, Keegan versus Paolo Bonchero. They did the same role on the team, and Keegan's numbers are way better. So, like, what's going on here? And my comp for him, I think this is kind of a little bit of a lazy twin comp, is like Marcus Morris. It's like a 6'8 guy, yeah. very versatile, going to have a long NBA career, can have huge offensive scoring nights, but maybe not a primary option. But it's like, I don't know, maybe a 6'8 guy with his kind of skills, and maybe he might wander into a role like that one day in the NBA. I don't know. I've heard people talk about the, like, you know, comparing him to Paolo. I mean, he's significantly older than Paolo is a thing here, too. Almost two That's years true. older. Yeah. That's the big difference. I mean, if we just, like, you know, claw machine, pick Paolo up, like, on, on Roller Coaster Tycoon and just dropped him into the Big Ten on Iowa, I mean, he would average 24 points a game, I bet. I mean, like, I, even now, I bet, I bet he would have. Because... You know, as we said, Duke's team is kind of weirdly built, and I could I could see that affecting some of their offensive efficiency. But I am not ready to use that. I understand weighing these players against each other. Another player that I think that people are going to be seeing for the first time that I think that we in the age thing is interesting, who's improved a lot in the past year, is Johnny Davis for Wisconsin. Do you think that Johnny Davis has 
Well, what would be your elevator pitch for Johnny Davis before we get into that for so for people who aren't familiar with him? Well, Johnny Davis is kind of like Keegan Murray and that he's the guy at Wisconsin. And Wisconsin knows he's the guy. He gets a ton of shots. He's about 6'5 by 2'10, 215, just overpowering, physically dominant two guard. And he's really fun to watch because he kind of has more of an old school game. And you know... It's so great, like Wisconsin, you know, they have, they have such a brand and like they're sticking on brand. Like, oh, we have an NBA guard, put him on the block. <laughs> <laughs> Back cut, five foot from the rim, post him up, brutalize a smaller defender. And Johnny Davis, when his shot is falling, he's super competitive. He's very athletic. He's very strong. It's, it is really like Keegan Murray that he's just not going to let you off the hook. He just punishes you physically. And when he gets going, he's unstoppable. He really – like his Hello World game for like in the draft world came when he dropped 35 on Jaden Ivey in a kind of Wisconsin-Purdue game earlier this season. And that's – I mean, that's the elevator pitch. Is this is a guy pretty versatile, pretty skilled, physically dominant, and just like really aggressive. I'm a little dubious of him, honestly. I think I'm a little more worried about him because sometimes when I watch him offensively, I, like you said, I think the pitch is sort of crafty middle game, like face-up, jab-step, similar to what Jabari does, but a lot shorter. You know, He likes to kind of create his own shot in that range. He's not as efficient a three-point shooter or con- consistent as I would like. And you talk about going up or going down in the in the recency of like the postseason. He's actually fallen off quite a bit lately. I think that he needs to be able to shoot. And offense doesn't necessarily move through him the way I would like. I wonder sometimes when I watch him, I'll see people like physically imitating things I've seen. I wonder if he likes Devin Booker. You know, I kind of wonder if he likes Tyler Hero, which Tyler Hero likes Devin Booker, so there's sort of a, a chain reaction thing there. He's like a pretty rugged player. He like he doesn't mind physicality, but I, I see him sometimes burning more calories than I would like scoring at the college level. Um, I was interested to compare him to uh, a guy playing for Michigan State, also in the Big Ten, Max Christie. What do you think about Max Christie? Have you gotten to see him much? I have. Max Christie is really interesting. I think he could be an example of a guy because Michigan State is really the opposite of Iowa and Wisconsin. Michigan State is we're not going to feature anybody. I think they have like four or five guys who average 12 points a game. It's a very balanced. I love teams like that. Yeah, it's very balanced. They're not riding anyone. And Christie, you catch him on the wrong game and like he's just not doing anything. Like He's spotting him off the ball. He's not really a big part of the offense. But he'll have flashes. Like he played really well against Johnny Davis when he played Johnny Davis. He's much longer. He kind of has that combination of really long, six six, six seven, and very long arms. And he has a beautiful jump shot. Like when it goes in, it's textbook. And I think Christie's definitely a guy. He's not as good as Johnny Davis now, but you there's some traits he has that make you wonder two, three, four, five years down the line how it's going to turn out. I actually had a comp for you for Johnny Davis. I wanted to try to guess it. Can you give me a hint? Okay, you're talking about like powerful two-guard without great size, very competitive player. Bain? I have a different guy for Desmond Bain, actually. We'll get to him in a second. I was going to say the guy that plays for San Diego State reminds me of Bain, Matt Bradley. I had him listed as Baby Bain, built like a truck. What's your, uh, go ahead with your comp. Uh, Josh Hart. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm not trying to act like I'm like way, way down on Davis. I'm still just, I'm in a like, I need to have some things win me over though. So I'm, I'm in a state of, 
of just kind of pessimism with him. But Max Christie, wait, that Josh Hart was your comparison for Johnny Davis. Yeah. Okay. He's a guy who's a little raw offensively in terms of like, you know, we talked about Davis. The facilitating skills aren't quite there yet. He's more of a like catch and shoot, but he's more fluid. To me, like you said, he has better size. I, I just think that he is more more of a like fluid upside athlete than Davis. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like a team takes a chance and takes Christie this year, maybe a year early. I've heard percolating in the draft circles this idea that Christie might be a guy who surprises folks by going out after one year and then kind of rises. Like we were talking about before, sometimes you only have one or two big games and you have the traits and teams just fall in love, even though no one's been talking about him all season. Yeah, because it's an opportunity to steal a player for, for good value. You know, we talked about Josh Primo a year ago, and there's been a lot yes, of... Yes, that's a good example. We, we've heard a lot of uh, debate in draft Twitter world about this idea of pre-drafting, which is just like taking players early and pulling them out of their developmental situation so that, you know, so that you can basically steal a player who would be more valuable a year later. Like you, you and your wisdom are reading in between the lines and saying, we need to get ahead and just take this guy now because he won't be available here next year. I think Primo's the perfect example because if we were doing this pod at this time last year, it'd have been the same kind of thing. It'd be like, well, there's this guy, Josh Primo. He doesn't play a lot for Alabama, but there are some traits. And then four months later, he's a lottery pick. Like that happens all the time. Yeah. Whereas like this year, if Primo were playing college basketball, I think we had this discussion out in Vegas when we were talking about it. It's hard to, I mean, he might've been a top 10 pick. I don't know for sure. I'd have to, I mean, I know Alabama has certainly hurt without him being there. Two more guys talking about coming out early. Baylor is a team. They're a one seed in this tournament. I haven't heard a lot of people say they expect them to go the distance again because they're not as good as they were a year ago. Kendall Brown is a guy, a big six, eight athlete, you know, Baylor has a pair of guys, and and I feel like I've seen the narrative kind of go in opposite directions for these two dudes because Brown was a little more highly touted. Another player is Jeremy Sohan, a player who is from the UK of Polish descent. Where do you value those two guys? Do you have uh, do you have those guys as first rounders? Do you think Sohan should come out this year? What do you think about the Baylor guys? Sohan would be a good example of like pre drafting, yeah, because he hasn't had the buzz. He has really interesting background. Sohan grew up overseas, actually plays in the Polish national team. You wouldn't necessarily expect him to be Polish, but one side of his family is from Poland. His mom's a coach, like we talked about. We like that. Sohan's like 6'9", kind of like a combo hybrid big man, very skilled, very smart player. He's been coming off the bench most of the year, so he just hasn't been talked about as much as Brown, whereas Brown is uh, very much... Your prototype, he's six foot eight, elite athlete, jumps out of the gym. And it's it's a weird contrast because I think they're both players, if they had been on last year's team where there was more consistent point guard play, might be being talked about more. But Baylor's a very weird team this year. And it's kind of hard to totally figure out what's going on. There are a lot of games where like Kendall Brown just does nothing. And he's just yeah. out there. And it's tough because it's one thing to do nothing and be out there if you can shoot. Because then you're still providing value. But if you're just out there not shooting and not being a threat, like you're just out there. And I think that's that's a differentiator between Sohan and and Brown right now. Sohan very much is in the in the same category of he's not a table setter right now. Like he's shown some flashes of that. 
Uh, the shooting has been kind of inconsistent. It, those are things that you're reading into, and maybe you assume you can get him in. And like he's been pretty brutal lately. Sixteen point seven uh, in hit percent in hit from three in his last five games. He's been he's been tough as as half court defenses are kind of ramping up. But he doesn't penalize you when he's not being involved, like you were talking about. I'm speculating a little bit, but I just feel like um, American players frequently don't do as well with that. And I I sometimes wonder if you know the American sports primarily are football and basketball uh, and baseball, obviously. I feel like players that grow up in other countries a lot of times have that understanding of playing within the these patterns of like three, four, five players at a time. They just they seem to understand that more. Whereas some American players, whenever they're not on ball, they just kind of go into low power mode and don't impact the you're game. You're talking as about much. soccer, basically. Is that what you're saying? Like soccer is is the big one. Yeah, I feel like the spatial learning is just a little better if you're around soccer when you're growing up. That's interesting. That's an interesting idea. I remember like playing soccer one day. I didn't. I didn't barely ever play soccer, but the guy I was playing with, like, oh, you're actually playing pretty well because it was all about like moving off the ball and spacing, creating space for somebody else to move in soccer. Is it? But yeah, in soccer, if you're in low power mode, you just kill in the team. Like, it just absolutely kills you. Yeah, and Brown Brown is a good weapon. I, I wouldn't say that he's uh, – I just think that Sohan is is interesting. I've heard people talk about him as, like, uh, a connective piece right now that just does a little a little of everything. You know, I've heard – I saw Schmitz say, you know, he's when he's at his best, he's functioning as sort of a Diao. I was telling you, I wouldn't be surprised if people talk about, like, a Batumi-type player, but I don't know that he has the same type of ball skills at the same time. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. So Arizona's the team that you put money on in the Vegas sports book when we were out there. You believe in them. Arizona's, you know, player who has generated the most buzz in the draft is Benedict Matherin. Benedict Matherin is a really interesting player. What do you what do you like about him so far? Matherin, I really like because he has just the rare intersection of he's a very good athlete and he's a very good shooter. There's so many guys who, when they're coming out, it's like, oh, he's got the jumper. He needs to work on that. Matherin, from day one, is going to come into the NBA and just be a threat from deep. Like, he, he has all the numbers. He has all the tools in terms of, this is a guy who's going to put up six, seven, eight threes right away. He's listed at six, seven. He's probably more like six, five. I mean, it's one of the more egregious height liars I've seen in a while. <laughs> but he's six, five. 
he's like he gets up threes really fast. He defends probably both backcourt positions at a pretty high level. And what I, I just love like players like Matherin is he's not going to eat off anybody else's plate, right? Like the ability to get up a ton of threes means he can play with almost anyone. He'll be plug and play right away at the next level. And you look at Arizona's team. The reason Arizona, I love them all season is because they have so many weapons. They have so many different guys who can score, create, pass. And when you have a ton of weapons, you got to be able to have guys who shoot threes because everybody's going to the rim all the time. There's just not enough room on the court. And Arizona's got him, Dale and Terry. They got two bigs. Arizona probably has four NBA players on it. Matherin's the best prospect of the bunch. Matherin was the guy I was going to give the Bain comp to, actually. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I think the main selling point for if you were going to compare him to Bain, the excitement of that, I think, would be in, you know, crystallizing like the the signs that we've seen of on-ball creation. Do you see him? I think that's something I've seen people talk about with Matherin. Let's pit him against each other. I mean, what do you see in terms of upside for on-ball creation? Let's say um, if you were comparing Matherin with Johnny Davis, who would you who would you say has more creation upside between those two guys? See, I would take Matherin because this is where for me, I'm not sure Matherin's as good a college player as Davis, but I'm looking at what skills can be brought to the next level and how do we translate that into the, the context of an NBA team? I look at Matherin as a guy, I can plug him in somewhere in the NBA maybe like a Gary Trent Jr. type, a Norman Powell, just like straight up, I'm going to plug him in, 6'5", he's going to get up a ton of threes. I think that's a huge skill for a smaller player. You talk about Giant Davis, he has to kind of learn. Giant Davis has the game of a bigger player in the NBA. Like the way Wisconsin yeah. uses Johnny Davis, to, be, to do that, to have that role in the NBA, you kind of have to be like 6'8", six 6'9", foot six foot because it's the Atlanta Giants down there. Whereas the way Matherin's uses Arizona – that's the way that's going to translate immediately. And it's like, he's going to fly around screens off the ball. If you give him any space, he's going to knock down a three in your face. And he's really athletic too. He's not just a shooter. His two-point percentages are as high as like Jaden Ivey's. Like he can, he'll punish you athletically on top of everything else. Yeah, pretty high energy player in terms of two point field goal percentage. As a cutter, he's a, basically a 67% finisher. I could see him being a guy who could generate fouls. He's a decent shooter in the pick and roll, which is something that I think is promising. You know, in small doses, 35.1%. From three, you do have him ahead of Johnny Davis right now. You haven't made your board yet, though, have you? No, but in terms of like comparing positions, I would put Matherin above Davis. So we mentioned Malachi Smith is another guy for Chattanooga that's interesting. I wanted to say Jordan Walker is a really funny player to watch if people want to watch a little guy that could get hot for UAB. He's just like little mini Kimba. He might he might go off. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some matchups, just a couple basic matchups for people who maybe don't follow college basketball closely. Is there a matchup that you're excited about in the first round or the second round? I think one to watch is the Baylor guys versus Marquette. Marquette's got a player named Justin Lewis. And what's That's interesting is when you have six foot eight NBA players, that's such a big transition from college to the NBA. In college basketball, there might be 10 to 15 six foot eight players who are going to play in the NBA in the whole country, right? You might see those players once or twice all season. You go to the NBA, you see them every night, right? Every NBA team has three or four six foot eight forwards. And those are the players just you never really see in college. So when they match up, I, I always love those matchups of like 
the big guys. You're saying there are no six foot eight guys in college? Is that what you're saying? With NBA skills, not very oh, okay. many. I was going to say, there are a few of them out there. I think that that's going to be a good matchup. Um, Justin Lewis is a big, solidly built kind of player uh, who has a little bit of shot creation. Yeah, That matchup, I think, is going to mean more for him than it will for Baylor. Uh, he'll have a chance to kind of make a name for himself there. I, if we get to see it, this is the one that I'm really excited to see because this guy is rising up boards. He's rising up in my rankings as well. Is if we can get Memphis Gonzaga in the second round, yeah, Jalen Duran versus Chet slash uh, Timmy is going to be appointment television. I cannot wait to see that. Jalen Duran is a guy. About six foot eleven, super long arms, explosive. Like he's physically like Bam Adebayo, like we've talked about, but a little bigger. And he's a, he's a really uh, interesting player. I think you're underselling that physically. Physically like Dwight Howard. Yeah, like he's physically yeah, yeah. like Andre Drummond. Physically, he's one of the best players to come in the league in a while. DeAndre Ayton. Like this is what we're talking about here. And against Chet, obviously, you want to see what Chet's going to look like against some kind of just talk about guys she's never going to see in college. Something about like Dwight Howard just doesn't happen very often. I'd say he's played Duran before. I'd have to go back in like the summer tape. You know, I'm sure somewhere those two have played each other. So he, I'm sure he won't be like shocked by playing Duran. But uh, that matchup is a chance for both of them. You know, I, I think it's a chance for Duran to kind of, I suspect this is going to happen. And we do this every year where like we zig away from a top ranked guy and then we just kind of slowly come back because we were too harsh on them. We're like, you know who's underrated? Jalen Duran. Meanwhile, he was like number one in his high school class. That shit just wears me out. We do it every single year. Kyle, you've been trying to run out the clock here. I demand. I told you I demand. <laughs> I'm not trying to run out the clock. There's just so much, man. We need we need Kentucky talk. We gotta talk the Wildcats. We could do a we part talk two. Your boys, <laughs> we're doing Kentucky talk right now. I have some questions. You ask for me you. questions. I'm ready. Okay, so first off, how good is this team this year? Like, where can Kentucky go? Kentucky is a really good team that functions as a whole, but like all the pieces kind of need to be going together. And I think the story of the year. You know, they have that, They have a post presence. I kind of have eaten crow on Oscar Shibway. He was a guy that I didn't particularly love coming out. I didn't want Cal to sign him coming out of high now school. Now he's national player. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I ate shit on that one pretty big. Uh, but, I mean, I, there were some in intangible things about him that I just underrated. I mean, his motor and his hands, I didn't I didn't expect those things to translate as much as they would. You know, he's, in terms of being an NBA prospect, you know, he's, we'll have that conversation later. But um, the story of the season for me has been the Cal thing, like we've talked about before. Ty Ty Washington is their most talented shot creator. He's their most talented on-ball creator, period. And they signed... Xavier Wheeler for the transfer from Georgia that played with Anthony Edwards, who is like a five foot. He is not five foot ten. He might be five foot seven. I mean, he is small. I saw him in person, and he's not. He's a non shooter. So Kentucky just kind of getting their balance of their guards. They have shooting. Will Davion Mintz play well enough in March? Will Kellen Grady get out of whatever shooting funk he's in? Keon Brooks will he be relied on too much? I mean, I could answer all the way down the line. They're good. I have them getting beaten by Purdue, which is the thing that I've expected because I think Purdue's a terrible matchup for them. And you talk about Hello World games, I wouldn't be surprised if Jay Nivey had a Hello World game against Kentucky. So I kind of see them as like an Elite Eight level-ish team. They could go a little further, but I would be surprised if Kentucky wins at all. I hate to say that, but I would. So if they lose, how mad would you be? Like as a fan, like where where is your fandom at? Like, can I make fun of you or like how are you? Are you going to be upset if they lose? Like on a one to ten scale, 
if they lose like early, Ooh. like what's if they get Ooh. upset in round one Ooh. or round two, like how are you going to feel? Oh man, the, the if they lose question, I've already begun. I've already begun to kind of cope with that. At the beginning of the year, I, I I was skeptical, and then I moved into like I'm pretty positive, and now I'm back to like pretty realistic. I think about what they could do if they lose early. Uh, I'll be pretty annoyed with that. But if they, I mean, if they lose in like the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight range. You know, whatever. I move on. I can get heartbroken. Like, I was pretty sad when Luke May hit the shot, you know, in 2017 UNC. I was obviously absolutely devastated by the 2015 Wisconsin game. I actually sat in silence in my car for like 25 minutes after that game. And I, it, it was a serious... <laughs> I know you're making fun of me. I have a UK hat on because I knew you were going to be making fun of me. But like... I like called my dad after that game and I was like, dad, I think I'm like maybe done being like a fan. <laughs> I was like, I think it's over for me. That was pretty brutal. Cause it was like such a historic team and to lose in that fashion. is just, Oh my gosh, because I'm looking at the bracket and I just round two, they could face Murray state. They'll be and Murray I'm not going to lie. If they lost to Murray State, like that's one of the things I would just never get over. I'd just be laughing about that forever. Chris Vernon will probably hit me up about that, I'm sure. For those who don't know, Murray State, that's where Jaw went to school. And Murray State's like a mid-major powerhouse where, because they take basketball so seriously there, Murray State is like, there's way more resources invested in basketball at Murray State than the kind of schools they normally play in like the OVC or the MVC. So Murray State went like 30-2 and two this year. They have an NBA prospect, and it's one of those things where because Murray State's so good at basketball within the state of Kentucky, Kentucky's never going to schedule them non-conference, no. right? Because they, they already have Louisville. They don't want to elevate a team in their state. It's the same reason like Kansas never schedules Wichita State during the season. It's the same kind of deal. So obviously, Wichita beat Kansas when you're in the tournament. It's like one of these all-time great games. My boys at Texas – we lost to Abilene Christian last year. And it's just like, <laughs> we'll, we'll never live that down. Like, I, one of my best friends went to Abilene Christian. And, like, for the rest of his life, he has it over me that they beat us in the tournament. And so, yeah, if Murray State beats Kentucky, I don't know, should I text you or just, like, not even say anything? Is it best to just radio silence? What difference does it make? Everyone's going to text me. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, I, I'm, the, I'm the Kentucky person for a lot of people that I know in, like, other cities across the country. I'm the person. So whenever there's, like, uh, anything Kentucky-related, they're like, hey, did you see this? I'm like, yes, I saw this. It's like, a, they, they just, it's the way it goes. But I think you're right. As the Kentucky expert, then. So Cal, everyone knows about Cal. Cal, obviously, national reputation, very long history in the spotlight. What's your Cal take? Like, is he a good coach? Is he a great coach? Is he good in March? I think, does he get underrated? Like, where, is, where do you land on Cal, ultimately? I think it's evened out a little bit. I mean, there was that time where everybody was like, you know, Cal rolls the ball out, that kind of thing. He's a cheater, blah, 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 blah. All those things have normalized and become <laughs> accepted in college sports. Yeah, you can pay the players. Anyway, get over it, babies. Uh, but I think... Cal's been an innovator. I mean, he moved towards the dribble, the Vance Wahlberg dribble drive movement. If you want to go investigate that, you can. He's been a little bit stubborn about types of shooters. We talked about, I would criticize him, like his roster construction got a little lazy, I think, from like 2017 to 2020. He got a little, just, he wasn't putting teams together well for modern basketball, in my opinion. He doesn't like to let his big shoot threes. That can wear me out. I think Cal is an incredible defensive teacher. I think that he doesn't cut corners in a way. He would rather see 
his team struggle early in the year and learn defensively then to cut corners and try like gimmick defenses. You know, I've seen, that's one thing I would compare him against coach K in that way. Coach K gave up a couple times and just say, we're going to run zone. Cal is just extremely stubborn about that kind of thing. He won't do it. And I think you're just insane if you think that he's a bad coach because to do what he's done every year to take new personnel every single year, we've seen some of these other schools really struggle with it. And Cal has, other than the little hiccup he had, has done well, and I think that he's an he's an ad, uh, early adopter. I think that he has done a really good job of shifting in this new era. So we'll see. This I, I feel like we're moving into a new act of Cal's career. We'll see if he can win a title during it. But. I was gonna say this is a different. He's playing older guys. It's not really Ty Ty is really the only one and done guy on this team. It's a very different kind of Kentucky team than before. Do you like watching these guys a little more because they're older? Or does it matter to you? I said this on another podcast recently. It's just, we just cut out the like December, November, December malaise of like watching 18, 19 year olds figure out how to play defense or like not to or run good offense. We cut all that out. They were better in the year. Now the floor is higher. Is the ceiling higher than if we had those younger guys? Like if this team had played like a 2014 Kentucky type team in the tournament, would they lose? Possibly. I mean, it's it's probably likely if they played that team. But it's been a more even ride, I would say. There's been less turbulence. Um, so I think that that's something that he can kind of like split the difference with these transfers and make it a little less. Because, man, some of these like freshman-heavy teams that he had, they were not fun to watch early in the year. You know, that 2019 team with like uh, P.J. Washington and Tyler Hero, like people were pissed off. They lost like Seton Hall at the garden and stuff like that. I think this is a time where he's probably going to be able to have more veterans who are like ready to play with freshmen instead of like all freshmen. And that for me, it seems like it's going to be more enjoyable. Do you think Cal needs one more title like to be like a Kentucky great or is he already done? Like is his legacy secure or does he need more titles? Because he only has one right now. I think to level up and to move into another conversation, he needs to win another one because he's left some on the table, I think. He has. He for sure has. In 2010, that was just an epic botching of, you know, you can't build teams that want to grind in the half court that also can't create or shoot or, you know, things like that. That John Wall team lost that way. Uh, 2014, I think they should have won it. 2015, I think they should have won it. 2017, they could have won it. 2019 they could have won it you know he should have two at Kentucky he should it's possible that he'll get another one I could see it happening give me a percentage this year what's the percent chance they make the final four and they won it all well they have a good bracket you know I always get nervous whenever people start talking about how good the bracket is you know because then it's like you you lose in like second round or something like that Yeah, because you only play a team in front of you it's like it doesn't really matter the other side of your bracket more often than not yeah I, I think that the bracket is pretty good for them, other than I've worried about the Purdue matchup. Like I've said, I think they could play with Baylor. I think that we know they can play with North Carolina, UCLA. Um, a lot of those teams, we'll see if they could grind with, with Kentucky. I'm not so sure. But Final Four, if you go above 20%, it's that's pretty good. I'd say it's it's probably, for me, I'm so cynical, though, like you talking about. I Winning the title, I'd say there's like a 10% chance, maybe. Okay, but you've got them losing to Purdue in Sweet 16. Yeah, just because right. I'm a cynical, joyless person. But they could absolutely go to the final. They could go to the Final Four if, if things start to click. But there are some scenarios that worry me about teams that get them into a half-court game. Can they continue to score? But it could happen. I'm just, I'll am just i be surprised if they win the title. That's where I am at this point. What about Texas? Do you think Texas is going to do anything? No. It's tough. they got a really <laughs> tough matchup. They're a very small team, and their first round – 
they're playing Virginia Tech. They've got a guy who's six foot eight, six foot nine, Kiva Aluma, who they run their offense oh, yeah. through. That's what I was worried about with Texas is they're a team that needs to play a smaller team because their best their best lineups have like a six foot six guy at center usually. And it's just gonna be very tough for them. Even if they get past Virginia Tech, they're gonna have to play Purdue in round two. Purdue has a seven foot four guy we've talked about. Texas has no one over six foot seven in their rotation. Like it's just hard to see them. They got a really tough draw. I'm actually a little worried it might be the tournament of ex Texas coaches. I kind of like Marquette this year, and then Tennessee's pretty good, so it's very possible. And Texas Tech is really good too. Beard's assistant. It's very possible this is an egg on egg on your face here for Texas, but it's all good. Oh man, Tennessee's got a squad. I always I always hesitate to pick the team that is playing well in the SEC tournament because they'll just burn me. Tennessee is famous for this. Yeah, man, this Rick Barnes team is good. We talk about the three guard thing with with uh, Viscovi and with Kennedy Chandler and with Ziegler. That's a team that has. You know, they have some size, they have the guards, they play, they guard the crap out of the ball. They could make a run, they could. The Villanova-Tennessee game is something that I hope happens. I hope we can get that in the Sweet 16. It's a thrilling time, it's very exciting. You know, if you have your picks, if you disagree with our picks, if there are players that you're excited about, hit us up, let us know. Subscribe to the Ringers podcast feed, listen to it on Spotify, we'd prefer you do that. You know, we have a lot of good shows, we have the real ones, we have the Ringer NBA show, we have Weekends with Waz, we have The Answer with Chris Ryan, Sirit Soho. We obviously have Bill's pod, so there's just a ton of NBA coverage, and we come at it from all angles. We'll be back, too, next Tuesday. We'll be talking about all these games. We'll see. I really hope that Chet, Paolo, and Jabari are still alive next Tuesday. I'm a little worried about that, but we'll see. If they aren't, we'll break it all down. I cannot wait for this weekend. I can't either. It is just candy. John, it was good to see you, as usual. As always.